Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Look, this is what we know. We know he's our son. We know he was born blind. We know how old he is, and that means we know he's of age, and we know that we would very much like it if you would stop talking to us as if we are responsible for what he does. When you heard the parents say that just a moment ago, I wonder if you shivered just a little bit. Earlier that morning, their son had walked in the door, and for the first time in his life, he had seen his parents' faces. For the first time in their lives, they could smile at him, and without a word, he would know how they loved him, how proud they were of him. But now as the authorities and the rulers glare at them, his parents all but disown him. Who has your son been hanging out with? We don't know and we don't care. How is it that he received his sight? You know, we never thought to ask. Beats us. It's not so much about what they say as it is about what they don't say. They never vouch for their son. Never testify to his trustworthiness. They never drop the slightest hint that they have taken any joy in his miraculous healing. For the first time in his life, their son can look into their eyes and now they find that all they want to do is make sure they don't catch his as they say what they say to the rulers before them. The only sliver of understanding that I can muster in my heart for these parents is that maybe their shrugging shoulders and their downcast eyes come from many, many years of learned behavior. They must have been very well practiced at avoiding unanswerable questions. Because for decades, other people have been trying to find the polite way to ask them really rude questions. Ever since their son was born, people had been asking them to explain his blindness. Some of you might know that's actually where this story starts. The passage that we heard today comes from the middle of chapter 9. The full story takes up the whole chapter. We were dropped right into the middle. The story began way back in verse 1 where it says, As Jesus went along, he saw a man born blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why was he born blind? They ask it so casually, so publicly. The man is sitting right there and he overhears the question. We know in an instant that this question has been many times before asked of them. It's the sort of question that most people, polite people, respectable people, would never ask to their face. <laughs> Instead, it's the sort of question most folks would ask out of earshot. 
but maybe like one out of every 20 people is too honest to wait until they're behind closed doors. And over the course of a lifetime, how many people does that equal? How many times has this man or his parents stood speechless? How many times did his parents walk him through the streets of Jerusalem? One out of every 20 or every one out of every 100 people stopped them and said, I hope you won't think I'm rude. But what happened to him? Oh, he was born that way. Do you think it's something you did then? We would never be so crass as to ask that these days, I'm sure. And yet what parent doesn't know? The exquisite fear that their parenting will be judged. The fear that maybe people think you're the reason for whatever. The fear that maybe you are. Of course, it's all nonsense. There's something more going on in the question. The question's not really about the parents or about this man born blind. It's about the people who are asking them. They are trying to reduce this to a lesson, to make this man born blind into an object lesson. What kind of lesson can I learn from your pain? And we all know that as well. What it is like to have our experience reduced to a lesson for someone else. What should I avoid in my own life with my own kids? How can I not end up where you did? What kind of story could I tell myself that takes your reality and turns it into a lesson for my own personal journey and my self-actualization? How can your story help me? Your suffering teach me. Keep me from getting hurt in the first place. Who do you think sinned here, the man or his parents? starting point of this story is the disciples' assumption that there must be a reason, there must be a lesson, an explanation that can make sense of everything. And when faced with that kind of question, Jesus refuses to answer it. Instead, he bends down in the dirt and he spits into it, we are told. And then he takes the spit and the mud into his hands and he places it on the closed eyes of the man as he says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus said to the man, go to the pool of Siloam, which John tells us means sending. Go to the pool of sending. And then John tells us that the man went and he washed and then he came home seeing. But even that is not the whole story. There are one or two English translations that have a hard time with Jesus' refusal to answer the question Jesus says this has happened so that God's work might be displayed. And there's at least one popular, well-respected translation that goes so far as to say explicitly instead that Jesus said this man was born blind so that God's work might be revealed. 
A man was born blind so that God's work might be revealed. That's a nice thing to say insofar as it lets him and his parents off the hook. They are not guilty. But it's not terribly comforting. To think that God caused this man to be born blind just to show off or show out. That God had stood by for all those years of whispers All those moments of terror as if they were a small price to pay compared with the joy of the healing. The Greek itself is more ambiguous. And most translations reflect that. Going all the way back to the King James which says, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but this happened that the works of God should be made manifest. And the this is left very open. Some would say that this is the man's blindness, but it could mean the present conversation. This moment has happened. This encounter has happened to show you what God really wants. God's fundamental desire is not to punish people as some people as an example to others, but God's desire is to heal. And every instance of healing now is a glimpse of the healing that God desires for all of us. And Jesus will go on to say, As long as it is day, I must do the works of him who sent me. And while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And the disciples ask, Whose fault is this? And Jesus asks, What are we going to do about it? And the disciples point at the man and they say, how did he get here? And Jesus offers the man somewhere to go. A direction. A purpose. He sends him to the pool called sending. Gives him a mission. And now instead of silence in the face of unanswerable questions, Jesus has given this man a story to tell. Jesus says, you are too busy trying to assign blame for what happened. You can't even spare the time to look for what is to come. At the end of his gospel, John will say, if I told you all the things that Jesus did, all the wonders and signs that he performed, I suppose there wouldn't be enough pages in the world to contain it all. And whenever John talks about these moments of miraculous healings, he never calls them miracles. Instead, he always calls them signs. It's as if John wants us to know That every story he tells has been handpicked to teach us something, to show us something, to give us a lesson. And in telling us about the time that Jesus healed a man born blind, John wants us to know that we will always miss the point. As long as we go looking for who to blame, the first thing that we must be healed of is our own perspective. For example, there are a lot of different ways we can look at the world. One way is to look at everything that happens around us and to say it's all meaningless. There's no higher purpose, no trajectory, no transcendent calling for creation. And there's another way of looking at the world. 
which is to say that everything happens for a reason. Every single incident has been predestined either by a micromanaging God or by the chaotic accidents of colliding molecules and genetic predispositions. And the funny thing is that to say everything is meaningless and everything happens for a reason is really just two different ways of saying the same thing. The world may be total chaos, or it may be a machine controlled from a single control panel. But in both cases, nothing you do really matters. But there is another way to look at it. There's a story. In the very first chapters of the Bible, first two chapters of Genesis that say that in the beginning, everything was meaningless. The world was formless and void. And in Genesis, we are told that God hovered over the chaotic depths and then said, let there be light. And there was light and there was dark. And with a word, God brought some order from the chaos. He gave it a purpose. And then the story goes, God brought birds and fish and land and plants and all kinds of things out of the chaos. And then Genesis says that God bent low over the dirt and used it to make a new creation, a creation with purpose. And God gave names to man and woman and he gave them a purpose and he gave them words. And he said, go and name the things that I have made. Give more order and purpose to this creation that I have made and set you to. God gave them a purpose and a calling. And maybe not everything happens for a reason. But God can give a reason to everything. Maybe some things happen just because they happen. Because the world is full of broken and painful things. And the most painful moments are the moments when we think that none of it matters. The greatest pain is when we think that everything that we have done might come to nothing, or at best it will be an object lesson for someone else. And it is to that pain that Jesus speaks when he says to our man, go and wash in the pool of sending. Not everything happens for a reason. But God can give a reason to anything. God can take the meaningless cruelty and pain and hurt and brokenness of this world and turn it toward a new purpose. God can make glory out of chaos. And God can take the unanswerable question that has haunted you for years and turn it into a testimony. Which is what God does for our man in the story. The story with the unanswerable question. Why did this happen to him? And by the time we get to what we read today, where he testifies to the rulers, I think it is wonderful that the man does not really have any more answers in this part of the story than he had at the beginning. The rulers have all these questions. Why would Jesus do this on a Sabbath? Isn't that a sin? How could something good come from a sin? How did he do this? Where does he come from? And all our man knows to say is, all I know 
is I was blind, and now I see. He still doesn't know what it all means. He still can't explain it. He does not have any more answers than his parents or his rulers, but he rejoices because he knows that he was blind and now he can see. And that's all the reason he needs to tell his story. It doesn't work that way for some of the others. Right after what we heard today, John adds a little coda to the end of this passage. Jesus has heard that our man's been thrown out of the temple by the ruling authorities, and so Jesus seeks him out. And when Jesus finds the man, Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And our man who was once blind says, who is he? If you tell me, I will believe. And Jesus says, you have seen him. Something you could never have done before. You have seen him. He is speaking to you. And our man says in reply, then I believe. John tells us there was a crowd watching at that moment too, just like at the beginning of the story. And some of the onlookers were those authorities from the temple. And as they're watching, Jesus says, this is why I have come, so that the blind may see and so that some who can see will discover that they are blind. And the rulers heard all about this and they said to one another, surely we're not blind, are we? And isn't that just everything for us, wrapped up in a bow? That one man was offered the healing. But if they would have accepted it, Jesus would have helped all of them to see. Jesus offered so much healing that day, but only one person saw it. The parents couldn't see it. The rulers couldn't see it. We can only guess whether the disciples ever figured it out. Because all of them, the parents, the rulers, the disciples, they were trying to see the point of the suffering. They were looking for a lesson in the suffering. And I wonder if you've ever done the same. If your first thought upon hearing that someone has a virus is to wonder or even ask about their vaccination status or underlying conditions, you're looking for answers in the suffering. What can I learn from this? If your first thought at the red light where you avoid catching the eye of the man with the sign that says, please help, is to wonder what he did to get there. You're looking for a lesson in his suffering. When you're tempted to look at the vast chasm of someone's pain and say, well, at least, you're looking for answers in the suffering. And I hope you know I'm not condemning. I could hardly condemn you for asking the same questions that the disciples asked, the same questions I have asked a thousand times even if I've usually been respectable enough only to ask them in my head. I'm not blaming. I'm just telling you from experience that you're looking for answers where there are none to be found. I'm saying the first healing we all need is in our perspective. 
And I'm inviting you to discover what our man learned. Our man who used to be blind, but now can see. And I'm asking you to learn not from his blindness, but from his testimony. Our man knew Jesus. And Jesus came to show us that the lesson is not in the suffering. The lesson is in the healing. It's the healing who shows us who God is. It's the healing who shows us what God wants. And if you are here today and you are looking for your own healing, there are so many questions I cannot answer. All I know is that that healing cannot be scheduled. And even when it comes, you'll only have just begun to understand it. But while you are waiting, I can tell you this about your suffering. You don't owe anyone an explanation for it. You don't have to prove you are worthy or unworthy of it. You don't have to bargain with God and show that you've learned your lesson. You don't have to be ashamed of saying that you're waiting for the day when the suffering ends. You don't have to be ashamed to say that you want healing. But you're praying for it. You're desperate for it. You're longing for it. Because when you want healing most, you most know what God desires for you. Hear the good news. Jesus did not come to explain how you got where you are or why it's really for the best. He came to make sure that healing gets the last word. God did not send your trials, but God can take the worst of us and the worst of the circumstances in which we find ourselves, and God can wring good out of them, can turn them to his purpose. He can give a reason to anything. And in the story full of questions, I think the healed man has the best one. Who is this son of man? Tell me and I'll believe. And Jesus definitely has the best answer. You see him standing before you. Whatever word God has for you, whatever calling or lesson or purpose, you'll know it by the healing. Don't settle for less. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.